Philip never wanted to get married. Unfortunately for his fiancée, Liv, she wouldn't become privy to this long-held desire to remain legally unattached until the day of her wedding to him. About a half hour before, in fact. Liv met her would-be husband back in Portland when she was working in advertising, a sojourn she claimed would have been a complete waste were it not for it leading to the meeting of her on-deck husband. Philip was a Portland native, and they had met one night at a gastropub wherein he approached her and made a comment on the bright pink scrunchie beginning her ponytail. He claimed he hadn't seen one of those in the wild since his sister was in elementary. The conversation went on from there, and before they knew it, they were moving together back to her hometown in Los Angeles, and each had long forgotten what life was like before their initial meeting. They had dated for about five years without much issue, and to be frank, it was mostly the pressure from Liv's sisters that planted the anxious seeds of what now appeared to be a relationship with a man-child who could not commit via the traditional processes of marriage and children. Liv always wanted kids, but she figured that at the young age of 29, she had plenty of years to convert that dream into a tangible reality. All it took to change a perspective of time was for her baby sister, by a good six years, to cast the first entry into the family's next generation via an adorably plump little bundle of joy that, once held in the arms of her Auntie Liv, convinced the elder that it was high time she work on manifesting one of her own. Liv and Philip talked, and talked, both made it clear that marriage and children were a part of the big plan, but the timing was the issue that required compromise. Liv agreed to back off and let nature unfold of its own accord. This rather applaudable level of zen lasted about six months, immediately after which she was at her wit's end. Usually not one to mince words, she found herself at an impasse. It could have been low self-esteem, lingering abandonment issues, or a variety of trauma perpetuated by her parents or other. But she found the brooching of the subject of marriage with the man she wanted to marry rather difficult. She set several dinner dates specifically for this purpose, yet each time she found herself backing off at the first taste of resistance, of which Philip offered plenty. Thus, the Italian woman and her untapped ova found themselves six months deeper into a decaying relationship that had no clear goals. Knowing all of this, one could just imagine her surprise when at dinner, in what she didn't even notice was the first restaurant at which they had shared a meal, a team of waiters came by with champagne flutes, most certainly not listed on that budget-conscious menu, at the bottom of which she found a shiny little rock attached to a nice golden band. Liv cared little as to what had gotten into her man, focused heavily instead on how perfectly her finger fit into the ring, and once more dove into the ignorance, or if you prefer, the zen that was letting the course of nature ride as it pleased. Mission accomplished. Now, here they were, mere hours from finally tying that elusive knot. The church was filled with all the beautiful people to which both stars could attribute their successes, and everyone nearly screeched in anticipation at what was sure to be a ceremony the likes of which had never been seen. In the bridal suite, Liv controlled her own robust emotions as her cohort of bridesmaids finished the final touches on their hair and makeup. The bride stood tall in the mirror, absorbing the cavalcade of information that her eyes were now presenting to her. As she drank in her reflection, her oldest sister Gina zipped up the back of her gorgeous gown. As the zipper reached its destination, Liv tried to fully comprehend the fact that when she took this dress off, or rather when Philip did, she'd be a married woman. She would be legally bound to her man, and the first days of the rest of their lives would officially begin. What a blessing. On the other side of the venue, the vibes were quite another story. 
Philip sat in his tuxedo with the top few buttons yet to be fastened, and his cummerbund extending further out with every heavy heartbeat. Though his face was clean-shaven and his hair flawless, his eyes stood bloodshot and his mouth agape in angst. He never wanted to get married. He loved Liv more than any person he'd ever known, and he absolutely wanted her in his life all the way until his dying days. But what was the need for the ceremony? The contracts, the structure, why so many eyes, and why him at the center of it all? He knew he had to marry her. She was going to leave him if he didn't. Either that, or she would grow so resentful she would attack him emotionally, mentally, and even physically any chance she saw, all the way up until they were both miserable. It was only human nature, after all. By all means browbeaten into it, he went ahead and purchased the ring and set up the proposal, almost hoping that she'd say no and ask that they just leave the government out of their relationship. Naturally, that did not happen, and instead she jumped right into the planning and grew more and more excited with each passing day. His only solace was that the date she had picked was over a year from the then-present moment. But now, the time had come. He had shared these concerns with his best man, a childhood friend named Vlad, many months ago as the preparations kicked into the final stages. Vlad had simplified the process by telling him that it's just a thing we as humans do. The event is about the bride, so Philip needed only to show up, go along for the ride, and he'd have his partner for life. It was the price he had to pay for the privilege, and in the grand scheme of things, it was a bargain. At that time, Philip understood fully, but now that the rent was due, he wasn't exactly sure if he could clear it. He sat there fully groomed and nearly attired, missing only his bow tie, with no idea how he was going to go through with this thing. Vlad had been bearing the brunt of this for a while now, and he was determined to get his best friend well on the way to his destiny as husband to that perfect Italian girl who was just waiting to make him the happiest man in the world. In fact, Vlad was so intent on this happening that he actually made himself a secret backup plan. Unfortunately, he was about half a fifth deep into this plan before he realized just how futile it was. Philip sat flushed, breathing heavily, perspiring, and struck by a fit of cotton mouth, not simply because he was nervous, no, the dwindling bottle of Maker's Mark had a lot to do with it, too. The bottle that was procured and poured over and over again by Vlad in a real-world example of what is known as the sunk cost fallacy. Yes, Vlad had figured that a few drops of liquid courage were all his pal needed to cool himself enough to recite his vows. After three shots, he figured Phil was just a tough cookie and one more would set it all right. Then one more. Then one more. Then another all the way until Vlad began to doubt if this plan had any logic to it at all, at which point he began taking shots with Philip as if this were somehow the missing variable. At this present point in the narrative, the groom had enough bourbon in his system to put down a small puppy. Slopped over in his chair, Philip eyed his reflection with scorn. He wasn't sure which made him more ashamed, the condition of his sobriety or just the visage of a pathetic and scared little boy. In reality, it didn't matter. Here he was, still toying with the idea of being a runaway groom and remedying these horrifying thoughts by self-medicating himself into a stupor. His actions were speaking volumes louder than his thoughts. Before he even had time to take the next route into a self-hating tirade, the alcohol finally and mercifully sedated him into unconsciousness for the first time that day, and the groom went headfirst into a table. Vlad ran over to his friend and turned him onto his back. Once he could confirm that he was still breathing, he ran off to get some ice. The bump on his forehead was a nasty one and there wasn't much time before it became unphotoshoppable. 
Fortunately, the ice worked both as a de-inflamer and as a wakening agent. Phil, Phil, you okay? You hit your head. Can you see me? His best man cried softly. Phil blinked a few times and took deep nostril breaths as he began to nod, temporarily giving some relief to his best man, until he turned his head and puked all over the carpet, and just a bit onto his tux. Vlad carefully removed his jacket and hung it up, debating whether to work on getting the stain out or making sure Phil didn't choke on the upcoming second round. Phil, buddy, you gotta pull it together, man. You have like 15 minutes before you need to go out there. Through a murmur stifled by chunks of beef wellington and asparagus, the groom muttered, Can't. Can't do it. Not. No. Can't. No, 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 no. You can't talk like that, man. I need you to get right, okay? Sit up. Drink some water. We can do this. Vlad positioned the dead weight upright against the table leg and ran to the sink to fill a glass and wet a towel. Okay, drink this. All of it. Don't take this ice off either. I'm going to get the puke off your jacket, then we'll fix your hair, and you'll go get married. Got it? Right at the mention of the word, Philip egregiously spat out his water. Hell no! Not going out there. You have to, Phil. Liv's waiting for you. Probably don't even shoot. Wants me, to being honest. Just, just, she's confused. No, she's not. She loves you, and you love her. Gotta get out there. I'll be right there with you the whole time, okay? You're gonna do great. Philip expressed his faith in that last line by tossing his glass clear across the room, shattering it into pieces. Before Vlad had time to react, a knock came at the door. Phil, Vlad, you guys ready? I'm calling for you, shouted Liv's father, Dominic. Did something just break? Yeah, we're gonna be out in five, Dom. Why is the door locked? He asked as he jiggled the handle. I'm still getting dressed. Go ahead. We'll be out in a sec. Oh, come on. Nothing I haven't seen. What's wrong? Getting cold feet, Phil? He laughed. Get him a shot of whiskey, Vlad. Hell, give him two. <laughs> okay. Vlad tried to chuckle back. I'll do that, and we'll be out in no time. All right, then. I'll put some bodies by the exit in case he tries to make a run for it. <laughs> Good idea, Dom. Hearing the steps dissipate, Vlad immediately rubbed out the last of the puke off Philip's jacket and began to press the groom. Okay, man, you gotta get up now. It's time. You gotta go marry your dream girl. After a rather obnoxious burp, a sobering Philip inquired, What's the point? What's... what's the point? It's everything you ever wanted. You found your girl, you convinced her to like you, and now you can marry her, have kids, and grow old and all that. Why am I telling this to you? You're the romantic one. The point is moop, moot, moot, you marry, you fight, you divorce, or, or you marry, and you make the kids and the stuff, and then she dies, and you alone again. Or you die, then she's alone. Maybe you both die. That's the best. But when does that ever happen? Hmm? Never. No good endings to it. So, why even start? Why do the... I'm... I'm not... I'm not going. He began to unbutton his shirt as Vlad rushed over to him and tried to stop him. Your whole family is out there, Phil. Get your head straight. You don't even know what you're saying. Pfft. 
Family. Who's out there? Mom? Lucy? Who else, huh? Philip tried to brush off Lad to little avail. Family isn't even real, man. Nothing's real. Not anymore. Vlad, you cool, though. You cool. What are you talking about? This is the love of your life. Your soulmate. Liv is your one and only. This is as big as it gets. You aren't going to have many days like today. You need to man up and appreciate what you're right in the middle of. With this, Philip got to his feet, allowing Vlad his first regular heartbeat of the past 30 minutes. The groom stumbled a bit to the window and let his body weight crash against it, just barely maintaining his standing position. Look over there. No, really, look. The groom muttered as he waved his best man over. See that thing? That's the sun. That shit gon' burn up into nothing. But don't worry. We all be dead by then. All of us. And our kids. And their kids. And be perfectly honest, no one will even know we were here by then. And no one will ever know humans were here after them. So, why the fuck, why I care about family or anything, anything outside of good liquor, maybe a good steak, I don't know. Vlad looked out at the gorgeous sunlight warming up this by now assuredly unforgettable afternoon, then took a look at his tossed best friend. Phil was serious. He was moments from committing to his life partner, surrounded by loved ones and family, and the only thing going through his mind, other than a heavy amount of GABA receptor agonizing, was the futility of the universe itself. Clearly, there was not enough time to break these weighty thoughts down philosophically, and the best thing he could do for his pal at this point was to just get him to that altar by any means necessary. So, he put a hand on his shoulder and softened his tone. Phil, you're drunk as shit. You need to put all those thoughts the alcohol is having for you and just punt them into the next zip code, okay? You've been dating Liv for four years now, and you've been planning this wedding for long enough to know this is what you want. With a little slap on the cheek to show both his affection and hopefully speed up the sobering process, Vlad added, Now get your tie on and let's get out there. Vlad released the groom and let his slugged brain absorb his advice. Phil stood still, staring blindly outside for a beat still rocking from the thinned end of lymph, until he finally spoke today's first dagger. What about Eileen? Vlad froze at the name, allowing Philip to turn and continue. Wasn't that day just like this? Weren't you filled with joy and hope? Love my life. Soulmate. Gonna have my babies. Hmm? Then what happened? Vlad was unsure how to address the questions. Eileen had been married to Vlad for three years. During those three years and about five prior, they had been the picture of blissful home life. They went on regular romantic day trips, were consistent in their social media date night posts, and were by all means the go-to couple for relationship counseling for their friends and family. The only area in which they showed non-diety aspects was in how they had yet to have a child. Vlad had confided in Philip that they had been trying to do just that, but there were some hiccups. Apparently, the husband was not providing enough ammunition for the tactic, and the couple was in the process of trying some new techniques. Vlad had found himself overwhelmed to the breaking point by the aggregate stress of the situation, the amount of research and sweat he was putting into finding then implementing tactics, 
and of course, the shame of his own deficiencies. Try and try as they might, the couple was finding that the only precipitate of their lovemaking was the decreasingly pleasurable orgasms. Just as Vlad had started to use his incognito tabs to begin the process of researching into adoption options, his wife told him the news. However, when looking back on the whole thing, she probably should have rethought the order in which she delivered it. She walked into his office, where he had been buried for what seemed like months now, only emerging to work or sex up his spouse. She saw poor Vlad with heavy bags under his eyes, neck forward and back hunched like a thinner Quasimodo, and told him flat out that she was pregnant. Vlad immediately shot out of his seat and placed both hands gently onto her shoulders, asking ridiculously if she was sure. He was so close to her face that she couldn't help but feel the joy radiate off his skin. And when she looked deeply into his eyes, she saw all that life that had been gone for so very long rekindle into a blaze that sparked just about as bright as it did that moment when she said yes to being his bride. That made it all the much harder when she had to clarify that first, yes, it was true, and that second, Vlad had not one soldier involved in the victory. It turned out that Vlad's beloved had taken his deep immersion into study, research, diet, and everything else he did to prepare himself better to knock her up, as him growing tired of her and losing attraction to who he might have assumed would never bear his seed. Night after night, he would enter their bed, enact the invasion, then, after what felt like shorter and shorter fits of cuddling, leave the bed and head back onto his computer, oftentimes never returning. Being the lovely Rose that she was, his wife was always receiving offers from other men, the scummiest of which being that they flat ignored her wedding band, and finally, she said yes to a particularly persistent one. Being so very desperate to be loved and just plain held, she gave into his advances quickly, and they began the process of making their own baby, which of course happened almost immediately. Back in the groom suite, Vlad was stable enough to not fall flat at the rehash trauma, making his way to a free chair and taking a seat. The bottle of makers in his hand was about as tempting as it had ever been in that moment, but the best man acted valiantly in placing the bottle down and out of sight as he began to get a hold of himself. Philip, that was a very different situation. And I'm... She didn't even tell you about the pills, did she? Bish. The groom interrupted. Vlad then made the mortal mistake of asking for clarification from the unhinged drunkard. Birth control, ma'am. Liv says she saw some in her purse or something. Vlad shot up out of his seat and ran over for a lethal dose of more clarification. Like, maybe th three months before you left her, or she left you. She took him the whole time. That's what we thought. Eileen, she don't want to have your baby. I don't see, 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 though? See what I'm saying? There's, like, there's one way it can work out. And a million. When you just, you just get boned. Vlad kept his gaze on Philip as the groom turned back to the window, closed his eyes, and just vibed as his friend reevaluated literally everything in his life. Clearly this was the truth. Philip had no reason to lie, and with the amount of booze in his bloodstream, all the reason to be honest. Eileen never loved Vlad, at least not as he had loved her. She had faked it virtually the entire time. She never wanted his children. Did she even want to get married? He thought back to her pause after he popped the question. She eventually said yes, but the delay was something he could never forget. Then he remembered how she had kept suggesting later and later dates. 
Was she in a situation like Phillips during their wedding, where her maid of honor just found more success in actually getting her out there? Was it really a success if that was something she didn't really want, and it ultimately led to the complete shattering of his heart? Yet, if his wife didn't want the commitment, then why have a child with what was by all means a stranger? Did she want out of a relationship with Vlad that much? She was still with that guy, and they even had two more children since. And they were married. Just like the pregnancy blunders, Vlad concluded that it must have been him who was the weak link. Him not having enough bullets to hit her target was a deeper metaphor than he had figured. Bottom line, after all these dark, twisted paths of shadow thought, was that when it came down to it, he simply was not good enough for her. He never was. As his perspective shifted, Vlad put a hand on the fleeting bottle of Maker's Mark, did his best to stop thinking entirely, and took a long, draining swig, thus beginning his healing. Philip caught a glimpse in the corner of his eye and promptly pulled out the next bottle of Jack from the drawer. By the time Liv's father came back around, he was significantly less cordial. It was about five minutes until he was scheduled to walk his baby girl down the aisle to give her away, and the recipient wasn't even out there. In order to prevent himself from resenting his son-in-law any more than he already had, he had went to see just what the hell was going on. This tone was then made clear by the fierce pounding upon the door and impatient jiggling of his hand. After a beat, the door unlocked and Dominic got his first look at his worst fear. He rushed inside and closed the door behind him as quickly as he could. Philip, what the hell's the matter with you? He began before addressing the stoic Vlad. And you! It was your job to stop anything like this from happening. Neither reacted to the late middle-aged man's attempt to throw his vocal weight around. But once he saw Philip take a seat, he couldn't keep his 250-pound frame to himself any longer. He took big, heavy steps to the groom, and with hardly any effort at all, raised him up to his feet, got his pencil neck in between his arm, and dragged him clear across to the restroom, all under the ignorance of Vlad. Dom made his way to the sink and hit the cold tap, forcing Philip's head under the icy stream. You're lucky I don't bash your little half-Irish skull in for pulling a stunt like this, you hear me? With no regard whatsoever as to whether or not the groom might drown in the process, Dom continued to fast-track the sobering until he saw fit to release him. After the exercise was complete, Dom went to the towel rack and started to dry off as Philip finally shut off the faucet. You got 60 seconds, okay? I'm not jerking around anymore! Philip caught his breath, and in between the time Dom thought about dunking him for another round, he spoke. You, you don't understand. Oh, I don't understand? I was married for 32 years, you little brat. I showed up to my wedding on time. I even did most of the planning, and I paid for it. I know I insisted covering the cost of this one, but I'm just saying. You don't know a damn thing about being married, or about being a man for that matter. So why don't you keep your little mouth shut and get that tie on, huh? It's, it's all gonna end, Philip said firmly. His soon-to-be father-in-law paused at the weighty statement. He put the towel back on the rack and took a step toward Philip. What did you say? Sensing he was about a half second from a right hook to the cheekbone, Philip eased his tone. How... How do you feel on your wedding day? Ecstatic. Since I hadn't met my girls yet, at the moment it was the happiest day of my life. Bar none. Practically ran down the aisle, then almost ran back to scoop up my wife as she made her way down. I was that impatient to make her mine. And 
How you, how you feel the day she died? Dom took a few more steps toward Philip and put a fat finger in his face. You watch your goddamn mouth. I have no problem sending you down there to meet Olivia with a black eye. Philip slapped the finger out of his face, much to the shock of Dom, and continued. I can't even imagine. I can't fathom the pain. Losing the love of your life for so much time together. The houses, children, memories. Then she's... She's just gone. And so, so young. Didn't even get to see any of her daughters get married, for God's sake. The big man stood silent, holding the intense eye contact until the point arose. Philip went ahead. You're, you're one of the strongest men I know. Nothing makes me happier than to marry Livy and be part of your family. If nothing else, to learn from you call you dad pick up even even ounce of your strength but i'm not even close i don't think i ever will be i, I don't that way right now it crushed me i can't even make it down the aisle man dom dropped his spiky exterior for a moment and softened the timbre of his voice none of it's easy philip you gotta just dive in, you know? Can't think about every which way it could go bad. You won't get anything done. Is that, is that what you thought when she got sick? The remark caught Dom off guard once again. His anger was gone, but something worse was emerging. I, I mean, he began. I, I just, what could I do? It's the mysterious way God works, you know? Philip put a hand on Dom's shoulder, and as soon as the contact was established, the big man let a sniffle break. It, it was fast. I, I don't think I had time to dread it like you are right now. It, it was like it hit, and, and she was gone. I, I, had, I had to be strong for the girls. Suddenly, he shook Philip's hand off him and stormed out of the room. He walked over to Vlad and yanked a bottle of Jack out of his hand, taking a proportionally sized gulp. When he had time to let the liquor bite him, he continued. Every goddamn day, Philip, I miss her every goddamn day. And it never got easier. In fact, it only gets harder on days like these. Dom knocked another swig back and continued. Thinking, thinking of what she would have said to me. The glow in her eyes. Watching her tear up, seeing Liv in her dress. With one more big man swig, the floodgates opened. And Dom fell onto the couch sobbing miserably into his pillow as Philip took back the bottle and poured himself a fresh glass. The moment finally came where news reached the bride herself. Her team of bridesmaids, led by her oldest sister Gina, did their best to keep their focus on the union, but when it was now 15 minutes past the hour, and there was no sign of either her groom or her father, she was convinced something was up. Gina assured her there were more than likely simple explanations for the incommunicado, then promised her she would see to it and there would be back on track in no time at all. Though she appeared calm and optimistic for the sake of the bride, when she exited the room, one could practically see the hot steam blowing out from her nostrils. 
She made a beeline for the groom's party, most specifically toward her husband, August, who knew right away that he should break for some privacy to receive what was sure to be a world-class chewing out. Where the hell's Phil? She whispered through her clenched teeth. I don't know if Vlad was in there with him. Look, Phil was real nervous and- And what? Well, Vlad had some whiskey. He got it for all of us and they took a couple shots to calm the nerves. August paused, knowing he would be granted no more time to rationalize. Phil got a little carried away. He's drunk? He's, yeah, he's drunk. Gina took a deep breath as well as a few steps away from her husband, and before she embraced the imminent explosion, she grabbed his wrist and yanked him with her toward the groom suite. She banged on the door with both hands, doing her absolute best not to let the volume of her screaming reach the bridal suite. Once again, Philip came to the door and opened right up. As soon as he did, Gina skipped the formalities and helped him sober up by slapping him right across his already flushed cheeks. She pushed her way in and began poking a freshly manicured finger into his chest, chastising the man in her signature bombarding fashion until she saw who was sprawled on the couch. Immediately, she ran to attend to her father, who stirred upon her touch. Daddy, Daddy, what's wrong? She cried as Dominic did his best to slur his comforts while attempting to sit up. Daddy, are, are you? Oh my God! What did they make you do? She continued to help her father sit upright as he tried with almost no success to calm her down. You know, I've held my tongue about this entire process for the sake of my sister's sanity, but you've gone too far. You people have zero class. None whatsoever. What, do you think it's funny to get blasted on the wedding day? Is this what you do for the lols? Thinking not one second about Olivia. Not one Gina, Gina, her father interrupted. Sit down. Sit down. When his daughter had obeyed, he continued. Don't yell so much, please. Okay, Daddy, I'm sorry. She directed her attention to her husband and quietly commanded him to get her father a glass of water. She kept the grin in her teeth as she got back in the face of the groom. My father can barely stand you, dick. How is he supposed to walk my sister down the aisle? Philip took a bracing breath in anticipation of what would follow. This is not going to be a wedding, Gina. Appropriately, the lead-handed slap arrived right on target. Yes, there is. I don't care if we go ahead and make it a wedding funeral. My sister's going to get her big day. She turned to look at Vlad, still in the same seat, still staring into the carpet's abyss. And you! Wasn't it your job to keep this dipshit on schedule? Hello? I'm talking to you. What the hell is going on? Philip headed toward his near-empty bottle of Jack and asked Gina to sit down. Instead, she grabbed the bottle out of his hands and, to the somewhat surprise of everyone, she indulged. If anybody needs a drink right now, it's me. You assholes are undoing what I spent months working on. With another gulp, she killed the remains of the bottle and subsequently found the calm to her nerves. Her father spoke. Gina, I'm sorry. I'm... He paused to mute a belch. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> oh, Daddy, don't say that. It's not your fault, she replied softly. However, upon the final words, Dominic broke out in another heavy flurry of sobs, falling back onto the couch and burying his face in the cushion. I didn't have any time, he wept. I couldn't accept it. I didn't think I could go on. I never thought I could be there for you girls. I couldn't take her place. I, I did my best. 
I miss her so much. Are you talking about Ma? Oh, Daddy, I know, I know. It's okay. It still hurts so much. It's never gonna stop. I still need her. August brought the water over, followed quickly by Philip with an empty glass and a fresh bottle of Makers, the former of which was immediately dropped in favor of the latter by Dominic with a motion for Gina to open the bottle for him. After brief consideration, she found that she couldn't deny her father. Dom took a big drink and found some peace as he uttered, I should have never got married. Don't say that, his daughter corrected. You spend enough time around a coward like Philip and your mind gets all twisted. Is that what this is all about? You're just having cold feet? Philip laughed at the oversimplification and decided right then and there that although love and life were mysteries, time's fleeting nature was a fact. So, Gina, we all know August is gay. A beat passed and she responded clearly. You really are out of your mind. She paused for a moment in hopes that her death stare would elicit an apology. It was known very well by everyone in the room that August wouldn't challenge the claim because, well, he doesn't challenge anything. That was, after all, one of the most enticing reasons that she agreed to this sham. See, about eight years ago, Gina was single, broke, and miserable. She had an entry-level job at a modeling agency where she put in 60-hour weeks for a salary that just covered her bare necessities, which included gas for her 20-year-old pickup truck and a cramped apartment that she had to share with three other weirdos. Not only that, but her work was so behind the scenes that no one even knew the outstanding efforts coming from her corner of the shared cubicle were her brilliance and hers alone. Then one day, Gina had taken her usual 10-minute lunch break and made her way down to the cafeteria. While she was in line with her Greek yogurt and Caesar salad, she had been unknowingly tapping her foot in frustration of the particularly slow cashier. This had caught the attention of the man in front of her, who had turned and made the kind comment of how he was glad he wasn't the only one peeved to an auditory level. Naturally, that was August, whom she then learned was a newly made junior agent at her own firm. Right then and there, they began their friendship. He insisted she spend lunch with him, and before long, he brought her up to become his personal assistant. They grew very close, spending nights together, going on last-minute getaways, and becoming, by what all accounts could tell, were soulmates. Gina always knew he was gay. He never hid it. That is, from anybody but his parents. Apparently, his Missouri-based mother and father were very proud of their son, but would object to the undeniable fact of his own pride. Instead, they deluded themselves into believing that their handsome, well-to-do, and successful son was just not the settling-down type, much to their chagrin. Long story short, Gina had never wanted a husband, and kids were not a priority. However, at the time, her career was paramount so she figured that the pair could help each other out. In fact, what she was proposing was so common, there's even a word for it. The term was seen as early as 1895 when the titular color was associated with homosexuality. A lavender marriage is a marriage between a gay partner or partners of the opposite sex that is undertaken out of some or other social convention, in this case to give August's beloved parents some peace of mind. In return, Gina would be recommended for a junior agent position by August's request, who had in the meantime become one of the top agents at the firm. Despite knowing full well that the marriage had a lavender tint to it, their office happily celebrated their marriage. Being an industry like this one, it was not the first of its kind that they had seen. Philip, as well as Liv and everyone else in the family, had always had their doubts, and the fact that the couple seemed to have no interest in children didn't ease them. However, much like Liv's entire family would be totally fine with her marrying a clearly intoxicated and unconvinced groom, 
No one thought it was appropriate to bring up the fact that Gina was married to a flaming gay man, happy to let the two continue their charade to their content. Gina looked around the room. Dominic was still curled up on the couch, Vlad was catatonic, and her husband was shivering with terror. The only one who seemed to have any control over themselves was, oddly enough, Philip. She hated to admit the power he was emitting, especially as she was now beginning to feel the dampening effects of her big swig of Tennessee good good. She reloaded and began, You're gonna fix this. I have no idea how, but my sister is getting married today, or I- How old are you, Gina? You keep your mouth shut, I'm talking. Sorry for? It really was a big swig. Hardly anything else would have had her backing off like she was. She responded that she would be 35 in December. Philip winced a tad dramatically, allowing for Gina to overthink why he did as such, and thus opened the door to begin his spiel on her wasted life. Philip explained that the fake marriage was all fine and dandy for the career perks. After all, Gina was a top model agent in the territory now. But wasn't the cost of that too high? This was a wedding, and thus everyone's deepest amorous needs were flaring, even career gal Gina. She had been seeing the glow in her sister's eye every time she mentioned Philip, which was part of the reason as to why she was so blindly enraged at the delay, then the scene she had been witnessing. Liv loved Philip in a way she herself had never known. How could this coward betray her sister's affection like this? However, what she was really asking was... Will I ever have someone that I love so much that they could betray me to this behemothic degree? One needs trust and love to suffer a heartbreaking betrayal, after all. Could the inability to be betrayed be worse than actual betrayal? She loved August, but more like a brother or maybe an old friend. What she had been realizing ever since she fully understood that she had logged 30 years on this planet, and who knows how much more she'd have left, was that she wanted a life partner. She wanted long cuddle sessions, movie nights, cute personal ways of kissing, and of course, lots of sex. And not just the impersonal kind she stumbled upon sometimes with the occasional one-night stand. Then, there was the big truth, the one she dared not admit to anyone. Gina wanted babies, goddammit. She wanted little ones that looked like her and maybe even showed tiny hints of her late mother. She wanted to guide someone. She wanted to love unconditionally in the way that only exists between a mother and child. All this raged through her mind simply by the mention of her age. She realized she was out of time. How could she find a loving husband and father to her children when she was already peaking at 40? And she wasn't just single, she was already in a marriage. By the time she divorced, itself a headache, found a suitable man, and got to the baby making, she would be past the safe threshold of bearing fruit. She had really went and traded the greatest joy that a human being can experience for a corner office, a few extra zeros on her tax return, and a handful of swanky parties with the most obnoxious brand of douchebags this city produced. With no spite whatsoever, and right as she had come to the realization that her dreams were clearly over, Philip handed her a glass, and she filled it to the brim. By the time the next knock came at the door, even August was sprawled on the floor. His illusions of being a slick straight having been reduced to atoms, he began to realize that he too had wasted his life. He was already in his 42nd trip around the sun, and although he never shied away from a fling or two, how would all of that fare when he was old and feeble? He'd have no partner to take care of him, no children to help, 
And being in such a backstabbing cutthroat industry, he wouldn't keep many friends. Plus, he too would make it from cradle to grave, never having experienced true love. He crawled his way to the origin of the sounds, pulled himself to his feet, and opened the door to reveal Mr. Umbeko, a distinguished older gentleman who wore a high-end tailored suit to which August was the perfect audience. Mr. Umbeko's dyed black mustache framed his pursed lips as he waited for someone, anyone, to invite him inside. Fortunately, Dominic had lifted his head in curiosity and sprang to his feet, sobering immediately as he saw his longtime business partner and mentor standing in a sullen air. Oh, Mr. Mbeko, <clears throat> come in, please. The old man removed his hat and held it tightly in his hands, taking slow steps inside and absorbing the drunken disaster. Please, please, have a seat, Dom begged. Dominic, as you know very well, I am a very busy man. I have many promises to keep, as always, Mr. Umberto began, remaining standing. I took the time out of my schedule to be here for you and your daughter's celebration. A concession I was more than happy to make. However, I did not make this concession indefinitely. My assistant penciled in the event as from 2 p.m. until 3.30 p.m., allowing for me to celebrate the ceremony and attend a bit of the reception with your family. It is now 2.25 p.m., and yet there is no indication as to when this wedding will actually begin. Dominic began to sweat profusely at the strict verbiage from his most respected superior. I'm so sorry, Mr. Umbeko. If you need to leave, I completely understand. I'm, I'm trying to remedy the situation <clears throat> as best as... Interrupting her father, a supine Gina spat out. Where's that pretty little wife of yours, Umbeko? Dominic froze with fear at the lack of decorum. Mr. Umbeko responded that she was sitting in her assigned seat, doing her best to grant this family her understanding for their delays. With this, Gina began laughing, rather obnoxiously, as she tried to twist herself prone in her long dress. She managed to get to her knees, then, with the help of August, back to her feet to continue her assault. Delays? <laughs> you have a lot of nerve coming here to talk about struggle waiting for something. Dominic's eyes nearly burst out of his head when he realized where she was going with this, while Philip nearly began to drool at the tea about to be spilled. Gina continued. How long did you have to wait for her to become legal? Three years? Or did you even wait that long to start uh, preparing for marriage? Dom ran over to try to shush his daughter, but when he turned, his socks slipped on the carpet and he went headfirst into the ground, just barely being able to reach his arms out and break his fall. As he stood on all fours trying to catch his breath, the good fight was lost and he puked all over the ground and partially onto Vlad's shoes, who still didn't seem to mind, still being so very lost in his own regrets. August and Philip ran to help him up and make sure he was okay as the rage inside Gina triggered even further. I remember the first time I saw Helena. She was 15. Me and my dad drove up to pick up the payroll checks and he sent me inside to grab the envelope. I'm sure you remember, although maybe you never knew that I had that little stepladder and had the habit of looking over into your office through the top window. I was just a curious kid, I guess, but wouldn't you know it? I saw you and Helena. Stop this immediately, the groomer fired back. What? You were showing her how to use a putter on your little office screen, unless there was something I missed. I I had to get back to the car, so I don't know. What else happened in that office with child Helena? 
Mr. Umberto placed his hat back on his head and somehow pursed his lips even further. I only regret even taking the time to celebrate anything with this horrid family. He turned to storm out but was quickly grabbed by his shoulder and spun back around by Gina. How many times did you rape your wife before turning 18, Umberto? And how many times since did you rape her in your office? Did you pay off her parents, huh? Promise you'd marry her? Cover any unsightly abortions? What else do you have over that poor girl? For all we know, you're still molesting children. Unable to escape the exposition of his sins, Umberto's breath shortened and the pains in his chest flared. The very old man began to feel warm tears down his cheek. What a monster he was. He had everything he needed, or so he thought. He had plenty of money, a thriving business, endless connections to whatever he desired. But when it came to women, he was never satisfied with merely beautiful or sexually stimulating. He wanted them young. It seemed that as soon as he hit 40, his philandering ways shifted toward a target of only women under the ripe age of 30. Then when he was in his early 60s, he dabbled with the early 20s, especially when it came to his escorts. By the time he was barking up 70, he was only open to those unable to buy the very same bottle of Maker's Mark that he now so desperately wanted to drain. Then he met Helena. The daughter of one of his regional managers, she appeared at a company picnic, and Umberto called love at first sight what most courtrooms would call pedophilia. He approached the family and introduced himself, cleverly hiding his unbridled passions for the then 14-year-old. From there, he moved her father into the main office with a substantial promotion, insisted Helena begin an internship, and completed nearly everything of which Gina had just accused. Umberto slept a night under the delusion that Helena had saved him. Since falling under her spells, he had stopped all of this messy business with minors, content with ending his life with her as his wife and only lover. He believed that their union was blessed and true, and maybe even as far as an absolution for his sins. The very young bride would be treated like a queen for his remaining years, and when he bid adieu, she would inherit the kingdom. He had it all figured out. Only now, when confronted so indignantly, and on a day filled with the promise of love and purity, his faulty logic hit a crack, and he realized, no matter what he could give in return, he had taken that child's innocence and nothing would ever make that right. Umberto broke into tears as Gina continued to chastise him. Philip overheard the emotional outburst, and once Dominic was up onto the couch, once more crying over his deceased wife, he grabbed the dwindling bottle of makers. He forced himself between Umberto and Gina. You gonna kill this guy, Gina? Handing him the bottle, the old man immediately killed the remains, then continued to cry, falling to his brittle hands and knees in shame. In the midst of it all, the time was now 30 minutes past the scheduled start. Vlad was mentally on Mars, Dom was in a grief stupor, August was in existential dread, Gina was in a fury-slash-breakdown, Umberto was choking on his own crimes, and Philip was blasted beyond recognition. Despite poor Liv's grand plans and most heartfelt wishes, it was clear there was to be no wedding this afternoon, nor should there be. Realizing this, even amidst the high level of inebriation, Philip stumbled his way into the bathroom, reached back into his bag, and pulled out the final bottle of wild turkey. In his drunken wisdom, Philip figured that whatever this group of ne'er-do-wells, plus Liv, who would certainly join them at any moment, really needed, as in what their lives required to continue in any way whatsoever after this afternoon's events, whatever it is that that thing was... 
they would only find it on the other side of this imminent blackout. That was Poison Rationality, the season premiere of Matsudenza 2. We still got four more stories, including all the pretty Norco girls next Monday. It's a story with a lot less vomit. So if you're into that, you'll probably enjoy it. Anyway, make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or pretty much wherever you can find podcasts. So keep telling your friends, keep listening, and we will be back next week. Four more stories coming, so a whole summer of myths. Thank you so much for listening.